Have you guys ever heard of a uh, challenge coin? The concept of a challenge coin? I know that uh, presidents give them out like all of Obama's adrenochrome friends have them. <laughs> a challenge coin is like, it's like in the middle between a, a medal and like a pin in that a, a medal is an award. It implies that you did something to uh, acquire it. And then a pin is just a thing you put on your, your shirt with a picture on it. And the challenge coin is right in the middle insofar as it signifies that you did something, but it isn't like an award. And I don't know if you're given them or you just purchased them for yourself. It's a little pat on the back. I personally am going to be buying every challenge coin we talk about tonight. <laughs> I wonder how much they cost. I never looked at that. I was on Amazon. Didn't look bad. None of them looked more than $5. What? Alright, so basically the challenge coins are pogs for cops. They get earned kill streaks. They display how cool and awesome they are. Within the next couple of years, they're all going to be QAnon themed because that is what these people <laughs> believe in. Uh, we're going to run yeah. through a couple of them real quick. We have St. Michael the Archangel. Who is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Angel of Death. He is uh, holding someone on the ground by their neck with his foot. I can't even see, but yeah, uh, we have St. Michael the Archangel. It depicts Derek Chauvin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Doing an epic gamer moment. Uh, we are cutting into... Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. That's, uh, that's the Coolio-themed one. <laughs> I knew it was a rap song, but because I am a white guy, I didn't know which song. Thank you. You thought it was a, a Weird Al song? You thought it was Amish Paradise? Amish Paradise? That's some fucking heat. Well, fellas... It is some heat. I think it's a Bible verse? It is a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh... The <laughs> Psalm 23, I don't read any book four, written before 2005. It's Psalm 23-4. This one's awesome. It's like a crusader walking in front of a Blue Lives Matter flag. <laughs> with, with two iron crosses. Yeah, through a street that appears to uh, be implied to be named Martin Luther King Avenue. Very good. <laughs> and uh, continue. It looks like a street in, like, Iraq. Yeah. Uh, continuing on the theme of crusaders, the next one is a shielded and sword handling looks like a spartan looking like a, a 300 fucking definitely a Dave. 300 type gladiator yeah 300 snyder cut uh gladiator with the words we are praying for you thank you for your service i like the star of david on his shield personally i think it's a sheriff's badge <laughs> oh it is it says sheriff on it super small i can't read that's a star of david <laughs> well, actually, there's a big, there's a big divide among the uh, the five point and the six point uh, cops. Actually, <laughs> next one is a classic reference to uh, podcast Chapo Trap House. It's the same Grim Reaper as on the uh, Cocaine Intelligence Unit CIA patch. It's the, it's the same Grim Reaper, except he's in front of a Blue Lives Matter flag, and around the sides it says. Justice hunts the wicked, as death hunts the dying. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fucking hell. 
Joey, these uh, these pins are better at doing irony than you. Yeah, you're right. These <laughs> pins are got, they're coming from my job. They definitely have more Twitter <laughs> followers than I do. They're better at composing original thoughts. Uh, I'm going to wrap this thin blue line around my throat and pull the fucking trigger. <laughs> these challenge coins have become sentient. There's no tomorrow for us. I like how we haven't even gotten to the one that's far and away the best, too. Oh yeah, I was I was about to say this is this is easily my favorite one so okay 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 these are my, my favorite two okay so let's start out with maybe the less maybe the less insane one so it is a celtic crucifix um <laughs> the the background the background is a celtic crucifix in front of the crucifix is a police officer holding what appears to be a, a dead body uh just like you know He's, he's holding it with both of his arms, and so he is also in the shape of a crucifix in front of the first crucifix. <laughs> and then on top of all of that is a crosshair aimed at his chest for some fucking reason. Cannot figure out why. It's absolutely the Public Enemy logo. It says Public <laughs> Enemy at the bottom. Yeah, oh, what the fuck? There are four bullet holes in it. Around it, it says, Blue Lives Matter. Don't like us, don't call us. Public enemy. I agree, cops are a public enemy. In the public yeah. enemy font, in the public yeah. enemy font, Chuck <laughs> D should sue. It, are we sure this is a real one and not a fucking, like, public enemy challenge coin? This could be some sort of Flava Flav, uh, cash in on the fame type thing. Yeah, he wears one of those around his neck and it spins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are the weird ridges on the sides of it? Uh, it's ribbed for your pleasure. <laughs> I, it's, it's supposed to make it more, look more epic and uh, sick. More rugged. But the one next to it, I believe, has a slight, a slight edge on it in terms of uh, psychopathic murderers. So, this one is, the background is an American flag, there are two revolvers, a pair of handcuffs, and four skulls with bullet holes in the foreheads of each one of them. On top, it says, justified, four times. So, presumably, and then it, and then it has Detective Ralph Friedman on the bottom. So, we can... We can read into the context clues here and presume that Detective Ralph Freeman bought a $5 uh, challenge coin on Amazon or whatever to uh, commemorate the four people he executed. Oh, absolutely. All these people were killed no. at traffic stops. Ralph Friedman <laughs> is actually uh, the code name for a cop who gets four kills. <laughs> Ralph Friedman, triple parentheses. But, uh... It seems his first kill took place on Groundhog Day, uh, 1970. <laughs> that is such a weird fucking date, isn't it? Fuck, six more weeks of winter. The best part about it is justified. It's just like that uh, fucking show. Well, 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 Raylan Gibbons, welcome back to Kansas. My name is Walton Goggins. Won't you please suck my asshole? <laughs> <laughs> this is an ad for Justified. Watch Justified. Uh, it's on TV. Um, so, yeah. I really like this one. I really like this one before we move on. Go ahead. You're fucked. How's that sound? It's called Shut the Fuck Up, Connecticut <laughs> State Police. Every Leo's here. Every Leo's hero, because they're also really into uh, star signs. 
<laughs> the police have hexed the fucking moon. That, that one's literally just a Connecticut State Police badge <laughs> with that around it. That's so fucking awesome. It doesn't even look like a badge. It looks like a decorative plate that would be in a china cabinet. It's on some sort of stand. <laughs> Here are my blue, here's my Blue Lives Matter china. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Connecticut once, and it's just about as shitty as this challenge coin is. Oh, absolutely. It's all suburbs for New York City, baby. It's probably the worst place on Earth. Most statues of Moloch per capita. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of Boomer Death Squad. I am your host, Danny. I'm your host, Joe. And, and today, oh, <laughs> and today <laughs> we are joined by our uh, third Mike, our host, our brother, Bashar al-Assad, <laughs> the Lion of Damascus. <laughs> Introduce yourself, my friend. Uh, I'm so glad they could have me on the pod. I think a lot of uh, shit has been going down about me in the media over the last few years. <laughs> more and more uh, people are saying this. My dear friend Tulsi has helped me a lot, but uh, now I need uh, Danny and Joe, my newest operatives, to help clear my name. Uh, here I am, uh, Matt Al-Assad. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Rightful ruler of the great land of Syria. The great lion of Damascus, oh how he roars. Uh, so, uh, to start off today, we have an incredible article. A beautiful ar- article, folks, okay? It's called How Jeff Dunham's Offensive Puppets Became the Voice of Trump's America by Rob Walker <laughs> in the Guardian. Guardian. <laughs> now, if you are if if you were a suburban white kid in the United States from the years, I don't know, 2000 to 2015, there's about a 0% chance that you've never heard of uh, the great ventriloquist Jeff Dunham. Just an absolute beautiful ventriloquist, uh, folks. Um, he is known famously for his extremely funny uh, owns on Muslims and gays and uh, his extremely funny racism. Yeah, if you grew up in the suburbs, you uh, you probably remember uh, seeing Ahmed for the first time on YouTube like uh, most people remember seeing 9-11 for the first time on TV. <laughs> if you grew up in the suburbs, you definitely remember racism, right? Well, that's what this is about. <laughs> and uh, Everyone remembers where they were the first time they saw Peanut. <laughs> Another wonderful credit that Mr. Dunham has is he appeared on 30 Rock as the uh, southern comedian that was going to totally own all the libs by showing them how affected they were, yeah. <laughs> they got him and they got one of his puppets. <laughs> I assume each of his puppets makes six figures. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So, uh, this article starts out, um, From Jose the Mexican immigrant to Ahmed the dead terrorist, his foul-mouthed puppets have made him one of the richest comedians on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> You know how they used to say, sex sells? Guess what, folks? Racism sells. Hell yeah, brother. I'm buying. Uh, Dunham is no children's entertainer. His puppets are dysfunctional, foul-mouthed, 
and unashamedly stereotypical. From now, get ready for this one, uh, folks. Trigger warning for my uh, first slaves crowd. From Seamus the drunken Irish baby. Me culture is not your costume. Lie <laughs> me. From Seamus the drunken Irish baby to Jose the Mexican immigrant and Ahmed the jihadi suicide bomber, spurning all accusations of racism, sexism, and homophobia, Dunham has become a comic phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> He is also ranked by Forbes as one of the highest paid comedians on the planet, up there with Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock. Okay, but he should make a Jerry Seinfeld and a Chris Rock puppet. <laughs> Chris Rock doing the entire fucking, doing the entire raw sketch, uh, Jerry Seinfeld puppet. What's the deal with children? Why are they so hot? Comedian in cars grooming high schoolers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Comedians in cars going door to door. <laughs> that, that was a clever one. That was a uh, deep cut. <laughs> Dunham says, We were the guys they shoved out on stage with the closed curtain while the headliners got ready. We were always the sideshow, the little guys, the cheap, easy entertainment. Here, here he's talking about how ventriloquists have always been disrespected. They've never no got... respect. Yeah, <laughs> I thought ventriloquism was cool when I was seven. That's when you think ventriloquism's cool. You're I've, not supposed or, to age into a ventriloquist. Have you ever seen another fucking ventriloquist? Yeah, well, I, ventriloquism was really sick in the 1700s when uh, the ventriloquist <laughs> would come to town for the first time all year, and it would be your only entertainment outside of like you know shucking corn. Absolutely, all of our <laughs> forefathers thought they were witches and burned them at the stake. <laughs> yeah, it was a little less sad than the man coming to town with his, uh, like, armless, legless man and having him uh, do prose <laughs> on a stool. As a proud uh, Irish-American podcast, I, uh, I'm imagining all three of our ancestors in the same little town farming the same patch of dirt, <laughs> just burning any woman they come across. No, they were, uh, they were uh, inventing the IRA. They were the first. <laughs> I'm uh, sure if you look it up, all three of our families were collaborators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my family actually was burning women at the stake for uh, magically uh, making boners appear. Am I yeah, right? precisely, Am I right, precisely. My family almost didn't make it because uh, they thought boners were so evil they'd chop them off whenever they'd see one. So <laughs> barely anyone got to reproduce. They largely bled but, out. Yeah. <laughs> It goes on. Not anymore. Dunham's characters revel in smirking at liberals and carving up political correctness. <laughs> Alter egos. There's Walter, a retired grumpy old man whose catchphrase is, Shut the hell up! And Peanut, a furry purple creature from a small Micronesian island who is hyperactively annoying. Awesome. Wow, that's a really specific kind of racism. A small Micronesian it, island. Which Micronesian yeah, exactly. island? <laughs> oh yeah, we have one. an expert. The Federated States of Micronesia, Jeff, <laughs> Jeffrey. I thought Peanut was his like uh, uh, white savior character or whatever. I thought. Well, most people don't know Micronesia is real, probably, so they just think it's a made-up place. Oh yeah, wait, yeah, you're right. Yeah, probably. <laughs> they think Peanut's a made-up uh, creature from a made-up place called Micronesia. <laughs> the two trot out lewd comments about women and ridicule foreign accents. <laughs> 
meanwhile, Seamus derides alcoholism, and Ahmed uh, jokes about virgins in paradise and chides his gay son. I mean, to be fair, what he does, uh, lewd comments about women and ridicule foreign accents, that's basically the thesis for this podcast. <laughs> but... <laughs> well then why aren't we why aren't we some of the richest people on the planet nah. joey's auditioning to be one of jeff dunham's puppets exactly i want <laughs> his hand right up my ass but uh... <laughs> uh so this paragraph he's he, he talks about his uh you know let's say style of comedy and describes his puppets as alter egos and then he goes on <laughs> yes he's m and then... <laughs> and then he goes on to quote uh he, he says this People accuse me of using the puppets as a vehicle to shoot off about my own beliefs, says Dunham, or to tell terrible jokes that I believe in. But it's not that at all. What the characters do is give you a license to go a little further than you would as a human being, simply because they're not real. So, what, what he's saying here is, first he calls them his alter egos, and then says that it's, it's not a vehicle for his racism and sexism. It's like, they are a part of me, but they are uh, not for me to be racist or sexist. However, they allow me to be more racist and sexist <laughs> if, uh, as opposed to me saying it from my own mouth as opposed to the corner of my mouth. Yeah, I, <laughs> exactly. What do you think it's like to have sex with Jeff Dunham? <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Fucking terrible. He just, like... He makes the like, parts of your body talk while you're sleeping. Yeah. Oh, whoa, is that your penis? <laughs> oh, whoa, it's going to my ass! <laughs> Just this fucking sick, sweaty freak on top of you, like, moaning out the corner of his mouth. His balls are, like, his balls are really, uh, like, like long and saggy, and every, when he's giving you back shots, you just hear his balls clapping against his ass cheeks. <laughs> I think my biggest issue is he's going to such lengths to justify it. It's like, just own it. Yeah, I tell racist puppet jokes. It's my job. I get paid $100 million a year to do it or something. Yeah. Yes, I'm the richest comedian on the planet because I do racist puppet jokes. <laughs> like That combination of things is so ridiculous that I, he couldn't say it. He'd, like, dissolve or something. It's just, that's cool as shit. If I met someone on the road and they were like, yeah, I'm the richest racist puppet guy in the world, I'd have a conversation with him. <laughs> I wouldn't write him off. Uh, this is a pro-racism podcast. Let's go. Yeah, that's getting Je cut. <laughs> Jeff Dunham probably did the first copyright on YouTube, like, ever. Like, the first, like, copyright claim and got all the money from that Ahmed video. Some other, like, fucking, like, 13-year-old Croatian kid uploaded. Exactly. <laughs> and just, like, just millions of dollars. Because that video has so many views. It's, like, the first claim on YouTube perhaps ever it was his opus that's my, day. That's my theory it was his version of uh humans plants versus zombies <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no context a, for that that's a deep cut yes you do you've seen you've seen my epic video it's a video danny made when he was like i don't know nine <laughs> i think i was 12 12 he pretended to be a plant and or a zombie probably seen that have not played plants versus zombies Damn, dude, you, you should play it in real life with danny yeah. You and Dan, you're gonna play Plants vs. Zombies later. <laughs> yeah, I LARP Plants vs. Zombies in the woods. <laughs> you ever been LARPing? No. Eh. Yeah, it's... I've LARPed. It wasn't that cool. It just made it's all the girls fun. we were with think we were weird. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, okay. oh, you wanna play swords? Okay, we can be nine, I guess. <laughs> yes, now we buy real swords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now we all own real swords, which girls love. We should duel. <laughs> so, um, so now... You know, he's, he of course 
goes on uh, on and on about justifying uh, his racism or whatever. And so now he, of course, needs to explain away his most famous uh, puppet, Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. <laughs> and so it, it says, The jihadi character came about, Dunham says, after the attack on the World Trade Center and the initially fruitless search for Osama bin Laden. We didn't know if he was dead or alive, so I thought, You can't make fun of 9-11. That will never be funny. But I will make fun <laughs> of that guy. That idiot. It's fu- what a pussy. His whole career is being fucking edgy, and he's like, you can't make fun of 9-11. I've been making fun of 9-11 since it happened. It has never not been funny. <laughs> that was actually the first joke Joey told. He was uh, two or three years old watching it on the TV, and he had talked about how the towers looked like uh, penises. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, hey uh, those are the penises, and uh, that is the butt. Oh, no, here comes another butt. <laughs> uh so uh, he says, the way I create characters is to react to whatever is going on in the world and come up with something, someone, that I think other people will laugh at or identify with. His whole shtick is he makes racist comedy for racist people explicitly. Like, that's He just keeps saying it over and over in different ways. I think he's right, though. He couldn't have made a 9-11 joke and it wouldn't have gone over well. Like, no, his but entire audience is, like, hooting racist people, so if they saw, like, you know, 9-11 as something besides an excuse to advance the American empire, they would fucking spit and <laughs> cry and scream. On his, uh, Wikipedia page, in his, like, uh, controversy section, there's a quote of him saying, like, uh, the one crowd I am softer to is the, uh, the white evangelical country crowd. <laughs> I have a soft spot for them, because I grew up yeah. in that. Yeah, 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 I saw that. He's basically and a televangelist, but he's just making comedy <laughs> available to these, like, you know, new Christian puritanical psychopaths. <laughs> he's like, look, and you are right. You've always been right. And, uh, you know, kind of expanding on the televangelist thing, uh, he is also, you know, as we've said, rich as fuck. And when you are rich as fuck, that usually comes along with some insanely stupid hobbies. As a petrol nut, he's built up a huge collection of cars, including the Batmobile driven by Michael Keaton as the Dark Knight, restored with a Corvette engine. It is now street legal. He says, I like cars that start conversations. If Jeff Dunham wasn't extremely rich, he'd just be the saddest man-child ever who wanted all of these fun little toys and just couldn't get them. He wanted puppets, and he wanted Batmobiles, and he just couldn't have any of it. He's at he's the manager. He's the manager at the Cinnabon. He's fellow worker like the rest of us. Yes, he's the manager at the Cinnabon every day recreationally. He wears a Batman logoed T-shirt. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes when he's by himself, he'll make the, the Cinnabons talk. He pokes <laughs> fun at the eyes on the Cinnabons. He pokes fun at the Muslims who come and uh, buy cinnamon buns from him. Oh, absolutely. Fucking idiot buying my big greasy white bun. But his employee, he has a Muslim employee, and he's like, but uh, I don't think all of you are like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's Only that fucking manager I used to have at Friendly's. Did you work there with Dan, yeah. Matt? No, 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 that was after I left, but I, I, I know the Dan arc. Yeah, just adding that. all the children on Snapchat so he could dance around the streets of Philadelphia screaming the N-word. It was awesome. So, uh, we've gone on and on about how racist Jeff Dunham is. But, to his credit, 
he concedes that some of the material he performed in the past now makes him, quote, cringe a bit, but he is otherwise unrepentant. I want to know what it is in his past jokes that has made him cringe. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's what's Jeff Dunham's line now? He's looking through it and he's like, damn, I could have been a little bit more racist here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really making too many concessions to the libs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The PC nature of my old bits and what a cuck I was for the uh, the liberal consensus in this country makes me cringe. I should have been bolder. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, on a, the end of that article is pretty uneventful. It just ends with saying he works really hard and is talented at ventriloquism. And then uh, he makes a really shitty metaphor comparing being on stage to diving into a pool with no water. <laughs> <laughs> Which he has done it on at least one occasion. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> He's it's jumped into really... pools full of Coca-Cola and Jello. <laughs> it's like that Cartoon Network movie where they give that kid who gets hit by a train a new brain and he sees all the characters. <laughs> that is my favorite Je- movie. Jeff Dunham... Jeff Dunham just dove into an empty pool and cracked his skull, so they had to give him a new brain. None of the characters are his. That's my favorite movie, because the kid is clearly supposed to have gotten Walt Disney's brain, so they also should have made him become a Nazi. Oh, yeah, the kid would have just been so Ideologically consistent. He sees the cartoons, but they tell him to do Helter Skelter. He learns all these new slurs that he'd never learned before. He's calling people quadroons. Oh, my God. He's measuring people's skulls. Uh, that movie could have been real good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the fr- he wakes up, he's like, where are my calipers? Exactly. <laughs> he's lecturing all the kids in school on mongoloids and caucasoids. I'm not going to say the oh, last one. You're God, less of an wait. idiot and more of a moron. <laughs> my body with my incredible diet of fast food, monster, energy drinks, and cheesecake. <laughs> it's alright. We'll get, uh, we'll get, uh, we'll get Indian food later. We'll balance it out. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so hyped. The libs are furious as I just feel my body completely degrading every single day. <laughs> the laments of the libs. Yeah, the laments of the libs as I feel my organs slowly stop working. <laughs> the libs can't fucking stand when I can't run a mile. Owning the libs by shooting your dick off and eating until your organs fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's correct. I also do not have a penis. Thank you. Uh, yeah. All right. Before we get off too far, you guys want to start this next segment? All right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, welcome back. We're on the second half of the friggin' show now. You know that the classic template, how we do these friggin' shows, you might say. Uh, we wanted to start off with something explicitly stupid and funny because we decided to do something serious for the second half, which might not turn out very well. Probably Um, not. Probably not. We don't know anything. We're not very... We are not (laughs) serious men. 
Let's yes, exactly. Let's preface this with with uh, we are not smart, folks. Absolutely not. But that being said, we are going to take our own special personal dive into the world of the NSA. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, uh, with, with the Edward Snowden leaks came a bunch of investigative uh, reporting articles. Um, so, in I think this is, this is from 2016, this article. Um, it's called, uh, The NSA's Spy Hub in New York, Hidden in Plain Sight, by Ryan Gallagher and Henrik Moltke in the intercept <laughs> oh I'm sorry good I'm god sorry, how, do you, how do you pronounce that my god <laughs> exactly how i said it don't question me absolutely every pronunciation we've ever had is correct uh what fucking sorry we have to do a little bit of race science before we move on Enrique <laughs> Moltke. what fucking some kind of scandinavian i, I don't know whatever Okay, man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Moving on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it begins. They called it Project X, which I don't know if you guys remember that extremely cool movie from when we were kids, Project X. Isn't that that movie that where movie? everyone did drugs or something? Yeah, they had, a, they had a, a lawn gnome filled with, uh, like, Molly or some shit. Yeah, they had an awesome party, and they had dope sex. <laughs> a long-forgotten genre of movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyway, it goes on. It was an unusually audacious, highly sensitive assignment to build a massive skyscraper capable of withstanding an atomic blast in the middle of New York City. It would have no windows, 29 floors with three basement levels, and enough food to last 1,500 people two weeks in the event of a catastrophe. So, uh, this, this building, uh, which was brought to my, our attention by Matt, like, last week... Uh, it's, uh, 33 Thomas, Thomas, uh, Street, right? Yeah, in Manhattan. In Manhattan. Uh, it's, it's basically this massive, like, brutalist building that was constructed in, uh, constructed began in 69 and ended in 74, which, that seems like a pretty long time to be building a, uh, a, a, a building in the modern era, no? A skyscraper? I'm not sure. I don't know how long it takes to build a skyscraper. Let's see. I don't either. I like how from its inception, though, it's been supposed to be Vault Co. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 1,500 people, two weeks, survive a nuclear blast. It's Vault Co. Turns into hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you look up how long does it take to build a skyscraper, or how long does it take to build the average skyscraper... The first thing that comes up is a McKinsey uh, <laughs> article, uh, like, essay, I don't know, but how to build a skyscraper in two weeks, McKinsey. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Mayor Pete efficiency when your skyscraper collapses by itself. Yeah. You, you it's are just... Osama Bin Laden, it's your personal 9-11. If you ignore all OSHA guidelines and... Uh, <laughs> standard uh, common sense when building you can complete a skyscraper in two weeks <laughs> it's just like a bunch of stacked cargo crates that you buy from china <laughs> workers no workers just slaves we import them all from <laughs> qatar <laughs> uh so now here's the catch folks 
But the building's primary purpose would not be to protect humans from toxic radiation amid a nuclear war. Rather, the fortified skyscraper would safeguard powerful computers, cables, and switchboards. It would house one of the most important telecommunications hubs in the United States, the world's largest center for processing long-distance phone calls operated by the New York Telephone Company, a subsidiary of AT&T. Yeah, so it's Volco. It's not about the fucking people. It's about the computer inside of it. Today, it can be found in the heart of Lower Manhattan at 33 Thomas Street, a vast gray tower of concrete and granite that soars about 550 feet into the New York City skyline. The brutalist structure, still used by AT&T and, according to the New York uh, Department of Finance, owned by the company, is like no other in the vicinity. So, this, 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 this building, owned by AT&T, also a fallout shelter with no windows and three basements, is owned by AT&T and is the most important telecommunications hub in the United States. It really... Or was at its inception. Fair enough. And potentially part of the world, because uh, internationally, a lot of different uh, phone calls and now internet communications are still run through AT&T's systems. Absolutely. Do you guys remember the uh, controversy? It was... This was like one of the later year Obama controversies, but the NSA was tapping like Angela Merkel's phone and like. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that. That's what uh the AT and T and the NSA collaborated to tap like it was to collect internet records from the entire UN. <laughs> Good that you bring up their uh, AT and T's ties to the NSA because the article goes on. True to the designer's original plans, there are no windows and the building is not illuminated. At night, it becomes a giant shadow, blending into the darkness, its large square vents emitting a distinct, dull hum that is frequently drowned out by the sound of passing traffic and wailing sirens. So, the whole point of this building is they want it to be virtually invisible, and they want the, the public completely in the dark about what the hell it even is, let alone what it is done inside of it. But- and the architect, uh, John Carl Wernicke, has ties to other sort of... Uh- Maybe not high security, but government projects. He's built yes. uh, the state capitol for Hawaii. He did work on uh, JFK's gravesite and Eternal Flame, whatever. And uh, supposedly was a fucking Jackie on the side while he was designing it. <laughs> and Respect. He might have added that to his own uh, Wikipedia article, but sources say. Double respect. Right. That was on Allegedly Wikipedia? in Minecraft, him and Jackie Kennedy slept in uh, beds next to each other. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, it's uh, Venture Bros when Dr. Mrs. the Monarch is like, are you going to take me? <laughs> uh, no, I never thought of that. Well, I'm not going to beg. <laughs> I'm not going to beg. He's just thinking about concrete. <laughs> Absolutely. This guy's just hot for concrete. It's cool that they tried to make it invisible, so they made a building that would be at home in like the Soviet Union, but it doesn't look anything like anything else in New York. Yeah. Uh, it is not uncommon to keep the public in the dark about a site containing vital telecommunications equipment, but 33 Thomas Street is different. An investigation by The Intercept indicates that the skyscraper is more than a, uh, is more than a mere nerve center for long-distance phone calls. It also appears to be one of the most important national security agency surveillance sites on U.S. soil, a covert monitoring hub that is used to tap into phone calls, faxes, and internet data. So this is the building where our handlers listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If we do real well, they're going to give us 10,000 Patreon subs, as they did Chapo Trap House, and... Uh, we will be the only source of uh, wealth on the left. And 10,000 Twitter followers of true patriots. Let's go, 10,000 patriots. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, documents obtained by The Intercept from the NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden do not explicitly name 33 Thomas Street as a surveillance facility. However, taken together with architectural plans, public records, and interviews with former AT&T employees conducted for this article, they provide compelling, compelling evidence that 33 Thomas Street has served as an NSA surveillance site, codenamed Titan Point. I would like to... Uh, Titan Point this sure sounds like, uh, I don't know, a Nazi moon base or something. Absolutely. Oh my god, it sounds like a it sounds like a Pacific Rim-esque movie. <laughs> it sounds exactly like the building looks to <laughs> that's, be fair. That's yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. If you're going to name anything Titan Point, it's this fucking uh it's this thing. I want to live in this it thing. It looks like the way. head of the Bulgarian socialist state lives inside <laughs> of it, not the fucking <laughs> NSA or whatever. Uh, Edward Snowden, you may remember him as the guy our president's melting brain decided he might uh, free from his exile the other week, and Susan Rice proudly stood up against uh, President Cheeto and said, no, (laughs) Edward Snowden should live in Russia forever because he told us about the NSA. Or be executed. Oh, yeah, that's actually... That's the real democratic position that this is. Yeah, point. execute the traitor. They probably each want to personally pull one of his fucking toenails off with pliers before they do it, they're, too. They hate him so much. They'll get him with the same cancer gun they got Chavez with. <laughs> but, of course. Uh, inside 33 Thomas Street, there is a major international gateway switch, according to a former AT&T engineer which routes uh, phone calls between the United States and countries across the world. A series of top-secret NSA memos suggest that the agency has tapped into these calls from a secure facility within the AT&T building. The Manhattan skyscraper appears to be a core location used for a controversial NSA surveillance program that has targeted the communications of the United Nations, the IMF, the World Bank, and at least 38 countries, including close U.S. allies such as Germany, Japan, and France. What confuses me about this is why is the NSA spying on the IMF? The IMF is basically just like, it's basically an arm of the United States government. IMF, UN, the World Bank, Germany, Japan, and France, these are our colonies. Exactly. (laughs) The IMF are uh, less, are economically violent as opposed to physically violent way of getting more colonies. Oh, absolutely. And then our uh, most successful colonies. (laughs) The only thing I can think of is like, hey, we can, so we might as well. The IMF has done more to destroy Greece than the Roman Empire, <laughs> the Persian Empire. Like, anyone who's ever ruled Greece. The Third Reich. Exactly. It's an extension of the Third Reich. It's the Fourth Reich. Operation Paperclip, baby. Just ravaged the entire Global South. Oh, absolutely. And our definition of the Global South, if you haven't noticed, keeps moving north. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, Spain, that's the global south now. It's like, holy (laughs) shit, they colonized half the world. (laughs) Who's next? You. Yeah, you're right. Pretty soon it's going to be like the Mason-Dixon line up. And it's going to curve a little over Spain. (laughs) It's going to be like the top of Germany, Denmark, Russia's exclave over Poland. (laughs) Kaliningrad. This is yet more proof that our communication service providers have become, whether willingly or unwillingly, an arm of the surveillance state, said Elizabeth Goitine, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at the Brennan Center for Justice. So on AT&T's part, at least, they it's extremely willingly. The NSA, these are quotes from a New York Times article that uh, predated the uh, Intercept article by about a mm-hmm. year. Uh, they said their relationship with AT&T is highly collaborative mm. and, like, we're praising them for their extreme willingness to help. Right, right. 
contextually, AT&T was like the massive telecoms monopoly that we broke up a hundred years ago yeah. into the various, into T-Mobile and all the companies that they are now. Yeah. AT&T has parlayed to being an arm of the surveillance state to allow itself to reform its monopoly. That's why they are allowed to buy T-Mobile. Right. National security reasons. That's literally what, what was cited. And didn't T-Mobile just buy Sprint? Yes. Oh my god. Exactly, that's how it's it coming, It's coming back, folks. We're bringing back the bell. We're bringing back the bell. We're bringing it back! Uh, the codename Titan Point features dozens of times in the NSA documents, often in classified reports about surveillance operations. The NSA uses code names to conceal information that is above top secret called exceptionally controlled information. And so in these uh, Snowden documents, every time they talk about 33 Thomas Street or AT&T, uh, they talk. They will refer to the building as Titan Point, and they will refer to AT and T as Lithium. Their code name for AT and T, Lithium. Which I I don't know about you guys. That sounds a little bit. Uh, let's say insidious. I don't know. Absolutely. Actually, all uh, all NSA uh, kind of project code names are named after uh, Nirvana songs. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy because today I found my friend. Because today I tapped a phone. <laughs> They're I in my care. phone. I'm just listening. <laughs> I'm so ugly, but that's okay, because so are you. I'm in your camera. <laughs> it's so ugly, but that's okay. It's legal too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I sort of... I sort of did my own, I sort of looked into, like, you know, why AT&T would be uh, codenamed Lithium by the NSA. Uh, so I was just sort of, you know, doing some doing some investigative uh, research on Google by uh, putting quotation marks in the, in the search, in the search bar. And so eventually I found this this guy Todd Allen I found his LinkedIn now I'm I'm not this is all alleged Todd okay you can't sue me I just I'm just reading almost directly off of his LinkedIn okay so from 1995 to 1999 Todd was in the communications wing of the Navy uh, he was a cryptologic technician which the definition of this is uh, th they perform various duties associated with operating telecommunication systems that exist across the global communications spectrum. So the idea is he intercepts long-range communications and then puts them back out to, uh, they, you know, the official is uh, fleets, Navy, Navy fleets, things of this nature. That's it's the official story, but, you know. The military, no stranger to lying, am I right, boys? The official story, often not the story. Yes, so, yes. so he's... And the Navy, famously, uh, the beginning of the, the CIA, the, o, the OSI. Uh, Navy, famously uh, fans of boats. <laughs> Navy, famously fans of... Uh, uh, men. Gay sex. <laughs> men. Navy famously pussies who can't fucking swim, so they need boats. <laughs> Absolutely, it's uh, you guys have seen what's it called, Hail Caesar? Yes. 
We ain't gonna see no dames. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say the Navy all, uh, they do synchronized swimming, like, the, uh, <laughs> the middle part of Hail Caesar. I, I love the synchronized swimming part, but no, they do a synchronized dance sequence that implies they're all gonna fuck each other. <laughs> Which is just Moby Dick. <laughs> anyway, so after this guy leaves his job at the Navy, first of all, he... He leaves his job in 1999 and gets a new one in 2001. What he does in those two years, not clear, folks, not on the LinkedIn. But from 2001 to 2005, he was a senior analyst at uh, CACI International, which, if you don't know what that is, it's sort of one of those uh, ambiguous uh, corporations that sort of just does a bunch of contract work for the U.S. government, including notably defense, homeland security, and intelligence. So... Being a senior analyst at this at this company could imply that maybe you've worked with the CIA or the NSA or the FBI, you know. I think this company is pretty on its face a shell company for the United States government. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um so he he works there for 4 years and then after that he starts to work at this this other place which seems to sort of be a uh, uh, you, you you transfer information to from place to place it seems maybe physically uh, to keep it safer basically his his job here seems to be that he worked on uh, keeping government contracts for certain uh, corporations and uh, transferring data over between these companies I don't know banal bureaucratic bullshit who cares but he works there from 2005 to 2019. While he's working there, he gets commissioned to work at this place, the Naval Undersea Warfare Center in Newport, Rhode Island, which is a Cold War era, like, military base in Rhode Island. You know, naval intelligence, uh, shit like this. It's actually the only thing in Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it comprises the entire state. So, looking into this place, the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, you find that in the 1990s, they did some work with AT&T, uh, experimenting on lithium. Now, officially, they were experimenting on lithium batteries, you know, for cell phones. But if the government's secret code name for AT&T is lithium, and they can provably have been uh, working with them on lithium experiments in the 90s, could we maybe not go a bridge further? Uh, presume that maybe the official story isn't the only thing that they were working on? Of course not. You... They're probably all sitting in a room with 9-volt batteries touching them to their tongues <laughs> trying to figure out why it zapped them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the banal evil of the United States security state. Like, the idea of this Todd guy, like, being some kind of information transferring, he's just Ozzy from fucking Burn This After Reading. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. He's on the fucking Balkans' desk desk. Uh, do you guys remember in April when we were talking about putting lithium in the water supply? Yeah. <laughs> to prevent suicides? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was really cool and normal, and I'm sure we haven't done any research on it with uh, a place and company codenamed Lithium. Yeah. Uh, so he works here. He does work at a place that did experiments with AT&T on lithium, and then in 2019, he, le he leaves that job and takes up a senior consultant job at, can you boys guess? 
Uh, AT&T. AT&T. Now, <laughs> what do you know? First he works with the military, and then he works with the NSA, and now he works at AT&T. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but I'd say that... Nah, it's the military to AT&T pipeline, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's real. Yeah. This podcast is going to come out, and they're going to contact you and be like, you careerist dickhead, why did you put this on your fucking LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah we'll be the... <laughs> yeah. We get this Todd guy killed because our podcast that nine people listen to talk about him. <laughs> Todd committed suicide to four gunshots to the back of his head. Absolutely. <laughs> he broke his hyoid bone while uh, you know We're the sorry. rest. We're sorry, Todd. You were just trying to figure out why 9-volt batteries zapped you when you touched them to your tongue, and now we started all this shit for you. Absolutely. Uh, something I wanted to point out about Todd is when he was working at your uh, gay Navy base, like whatever that was about, uh, he was working on the intranet, which yes. is like what they use in North Korea or Iran as opposed to the internet, just like a closed system network where only the information you would like them to access is available to them. Yes. That's actually the only internet that I use. I only uh, use Iranian internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you pay an internet service provider for something called <laughs> Juche G. I'm on the Turkmen web. <laughs> the whole point of this is we can pretty easily connect AT&T to the NSA, and then we can pretty easily look at these leaked documents and, and see that the NSA has been spying on us, you know, forever. And, you know, the moral of the story is liberals want to execute uh, Snowden for this because Trump said, you know, his, his, his brain failed and he didn't think and he just said words. Trump considered pardoning him. Yeah, but he, he, considered par he considers pardoning fucking anyone. They just ask exactly. him a question and words fall out of his mouth. He doesn't think about it. Perhaps. He's like, yes, very unfair. Very unfair. <laughs> yes, we might. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, also, the other moral of this story is that Intercept article is th the size of a small fucking book. So, w this is about as far as we're going. Um. <laughs> the, uh, the New York Times article highlights uh, some interesting things. Their uh, relationship, it's kind of a decades-long partnership. Their project with AT&T, the larger kind of project umbrella they're under, is called Fairview. And that specific project is responsible for over like three quarters of the data the nsa collects Fucking hell. insane um it also has more than double the budget of the second largest uh project with like communications company companies which is verizon their code name for that project is Stormbrew. what the fuck <laughs> cool man awesome Sounds like a Minecraft I'm telling person. you, you get a job in the military, you just get to, like, think of, like, cool names you'd name shit when you were, like, nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right, you're right. My code name is, uh, Dark Raven. <laughs> cool. Cool, dude, sweet. In 2014, there is a lawsuit, uh, by Verizon to try and not have to give over bulk phone records that the NSA, uh, like, uh, asked for or demanded, yep. and they lost the lawsuit. Oh. <laughs> in 2015, a bunch of AT&T customers were suing AT&T, saying that this the company just giving over their information freely to the U.S. government <laughs> um, was a violation of their Fourth Amendment, and the Obama administration uh, 
said that it was a national security concern if they were to talk about their relationship with uh, communications <laughs> companies in court. Oh, oh, uh, that oh. is incredible. So on its face. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I think that ties up this whole thing in a pretty nice bow because beyond just the normal, you know, obviously the NSA spies on all of us. Obviously that's bad, and everybody knows that. The point is liberals do not fucking care. They do not care about their whatever, their civil liberties or whatever. It's all cynical. American politics is cynical. Edward Snowden needs to be executed because Donald Trump was kind of nice to him last week or whatever. You know, it's... I think another thing that this really moves back to is, you guys remember that Shahid Buttar article from uh, Yasha Monk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Substack? Yeah. yeah, the cheesy EFF uh, grassroots director. So his entire job is to protest against the NSA in favor of, like, Apple, Google, or yeah. AT&T, Verizon, and these other companies that are clearly just arms of the NSA. Yeah. Like, the difference between them is not. There's no difference when your data gets collected by AT&T or by NSA because ultimately it goes to the same CIA handler. Yes. All of this shit is connected. It's one big club and you're not invited. That's the uh, message of this podcast. Yep. Phone records, emails, uh, like communications across the globe on the internet. It doesn't matter if uh, you're going. You're saying, "Oh, the NSA is spying on me," because no matter what, they can't do it without these private companies collecting the data, running it through, and willingly giving it over. Mm -hmm. It's warrantless. It's completely legal. They're the ones forking it over. They could not do it without them. Exactly. We are about five years away from drug dealers having to pay taxes based off sales <laughs> judged through texts. <laughs> like, it's a very banal dystopia that we're all living in. The, it's absolutely a Coen Brothers movie. The almighty algorithm. Have you been a bad boy, Lester? <laughs> uh, a month after 9-11, AT&T started... Uh, giving over whatever the Bush administration asked for in, like, the warrantless uh, data collection, the surveillance. And then in, I think it was 2008, a law was passed basically saying, okay, that was all legal, <laughs> which then protected AT&T from any recourse, like, uh, in, like, a civil suit or any sort of legal proceeding. Nice. I love that. You love to see that. Protect businesses. From big government. Businesses are people. Corporations are people. <laughs> yeah. I think we should close on this country's yours and mine, the uh, Decker song. Oh, <laughs> that's a good idea. Anyway, you guys want to uh, give our sign-off? Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, uh, thanks for li listening to Boomer Death Squad. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Boomer Death Pod. I've been Joe. I've been Danny. <laughs> And, uh, uh, I've been Matt. Yeah, there we go. That guy's been Matt. <laughs> Expect more of Matt. <laughs> Woo! All right. Expect we love us. him, don't we? We love Matt. We love him, folks. Okay, goodbye, we morons. We hate you. Well, I'm looking at the world now, and it's going insane. Thinking about checking out. Can't do it again. But I know just who I am. How strong I can be And I know I'm the only one Who can help us be free This country's yours and mine It's the home of the brave and free 